Our scripture reading is from Psalms and Acts. So the first one is Psalms 142. It is um, the prayer of David when he was in the cave. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Then from Acts 10, 1 through 4. Chapter 10, 1 through 4. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, um, so I've been a pastor for a good long while, and before that I was in campus ministry for a good stretch. And when I was near starting out in campus ministry, uh, at Auburn University in Alabama, and um, we had a, a large staff team, I don't know, six or eight of us working on campus there, and we are in a meeting, I know that, and, and me and my roommate, who were young bucks, we were kind of taking one of the other fellows to task a little bit, because he had been charged with being in, in, uh, in charge of a ministry event, and we were asking him about it. We were saying, Mike, did you do this? Uh, no, uh, no, I, I, I didn't. Well, Mike, well, what about that? Did you do that? And we went, we went on like that. It was apparent that Mike had dropped several balls, and my roommate and I were kind of appalled. We were young, single men, and, and the, the ministry there on campus, that was pretty much all we had to do. And so we weren't accustomed to multiple balls being dropped by a ministry leader who was in charge of a certain area. And I, I remember being just kind of taken aback by that. So not in that meeting, but a day or two later when I met with a team leader, we called him our campus director, a good southern fellow named Skid. Skid for Skidmore. And uh, Skid said, Tom, I wanted to ask you about the way you were talking to Mike in the meeting the other day, uh, I said, yeah. I said, can you believe, you know, he's dropped all these balls, you know. And, and he said, well, well, Tom, did you know that Mike's dad is in the hospital right now? And I said, no. 
I had no clue. And man, I was cut to the cut to the heart, of course. And, and so Skid said something to me. He was very gentle, right? He didn't call me out in the meeting. That's what I would have done, probably. He didn't call me out in the meeting gently, one-on-one, apart from the meeting. He, he pulled me aside, asked me about it, and then he said something that's always stayed with me. He said, Tom, you, you need to keep in mind that people either are hurting or they just were going through something, or they may not know it, but they're about to go into some difficult seasonal life. That's always stayed with me. People either are hurting or they just were or they're going to be. And we all go through hard things in our lives at various times. I mentioned already this morning that our daughter is legally blind. Long, long story. I'll be sharing that, some of that with you in coming days. Uh, She's also a survivor of childhood cancer. So we've been through some real deep weeds with her. I, I have appreciated learning about Kishwaukee Church and how you all walked with and ministered to Pastor Eric and his family and and, and the loss of his wife. And so if you live long enough, you will go through some great difficulty at some point. And so today as we come to God's Word, Psalm chapter 13, um, we will see some of David's hard things. I've mentioned a couple of my hard things to you, but, but David went through some real hard things. So let's look in God's Word together. Each Sunday, it's my procedure, my method, whatever, to provide a full-page sermon outline for you. So you've got the scripture text on the back. Uh, I'll read it, and we'll pray. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we recognize uh, as believing people that we can worship you in every facet of our lives, whether that's in the classroom or at home or on the job or what have you. We all worship you. Uh, severally, individually in our lives, but there's something unique, there's something special, the fact that you have appointed the gathering of your people for public worship, for uh, psalms and prayers and offerings and, and singing your praise and giving attention to the public reading of scripture and hearing it explained and expounded. And we want to hear the gospel again, Lord. We didn't need it just once on the day of salvation. We need the gospel. We need the good news of Jesus today and every day. And so refresh and revive our spirits by your Holy Spirit. We pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so hard things. When my my son was 10 and a half months old, he was cut stem to stern. He had an issue he was born with. He's just fine now. At that time, it was the scariest thing I'd ever been through in my life. 
it turned out to only be training for what we are going to to contend with with my daughter who has an ultra rare genetic disorder she's one of less than 500 people in the world known to have her particular um, spectrum they used to call it a syndrome now it's a spectrum she's had 14 eye surgeries in the last seven years the most recent one being a cornea transplant uh, in, in September my mother's last decade was riddled with strokes and we've since we've been married Kelly and I we've each lost both of our parents so we know what some of those hard things are I don't know the hard things in your life I, I just share those things with you to let you know that I'm a person too and we go through hard things well what are the hard things in your life what are the severe mercies that God has graced you with to conform you to the image of his son to test your faith to build you up in the faith um, a writer named Chelsea Sabolik, she wrote this about this psalm. Sometimes the list of my trials and sufferings threaten to overshadow my gaze of the Father. The pain of living in a fallen world that weaves itself into my heart attempts to steal my affections for my Savior. And already as we worship this morning in the, the confession, we talked about uh, becoming fearful because of our circumstances, that kind of thing. And so, in the psalm here, it says four times, perhaps you, perhaps you noticed as I read, four times, how long? Four times, how long? How long? How long? How long, oh Lord? And maybe that's where you are in life. And because of these four times, the great Reformed Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, was wont to call this psalm the howling psalm. Howling, how long? Four times. Well, it breaks out neatly into three parts. Protest, prayer, and praise. That's not in your outline, but it's a good outline of our little psalm here. Protest, prayer, and then praise. Two verses, then verses three and four, and then five and six. It breaks out neatly for us in this regard. And so the first question is, did God forget David or has God forgotten me? You might be asking yourself that this morning. You might be asking the Lord that this morning. Has the Lord, has God forgotten me forever, perpetually? Did God forget David? Uh, to forget means to mislay, to be oblivious, to allow to escape notice, uh, to not have memory of. And what I want to assure you of this morning is God forgets some things, but not us. Well, what does he forget? Just as sort of an aside, the scriptures tell us in several places, in Isaiah and in Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews 8, it tells us that God will remember our sins no more because Jesus has ushered in a new covenant. God remembers our sins no more. That's forgiveness. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that he, he gets some sort of selective amnesia? No, it, it doesn't mean that he, the God who is all-knowing, the God who is omniscient, it doesn't mean that he cannot call those things to mind. It means that he chooses to no longer hold them against us. We're forgiven. That's the good news that God forgets in that way. But in the sense of the psalm here, what David is talking about is, has God forgotten me? 
Spurgeon asks, can omniscience fail in memory? Can Jehovah's heart forget his own beloved child? In the psalm, David speaks of having sorrow in verse 2, being shaken in verse 4. Sorrow, affliction, uh, grief, agony, being shaken. Jenna was four days old when we were in a doctor's office and we got the diagnosis that our daughter would be blind and it was 60 to 70% chance likelihood that she developed cancer in the first two to three years of her life. And I was shaken. I was shaken to my core. My faith was somewhat shaken. I was reeling and staggered. I was a believer and walking with God. And here we hear another believer, David, pouring his heart out before the Lord. So, is God hidden? That may be some of what David was wondering. Is God concealed? By the way, I put in parentheses, a book there that really helped me, Disappointment with God. Philip Yancey, some of y'all may know his writings. I don't know that this is his best-known book. It's the one that has helped me the most. In Disappointment with God, Yancey asks and answers three questions. Is God hidden? Is God silent? And is God unfair? Is God hidden? Is God silent? And is God unfair? And... um, he treats those, and it, it really was a help to me at a certain point in my walk with God that I'll tell you about in a minute. But join me on the back of the outline again for a moment, and let's see what our standards were. Presbyterians, the Westminster Standards, that's the Confession and the Catechisms. I've excerpted from chapter 18 on the back. It's under your main scripture reading. Uh, WCF, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, paragraph 4. I'm going to read it twice. Once fast through and then break it down. Um, True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted as by negligence and preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may, in due time, be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. Finding Hope in God's Goodness is not only the title of my message today, it's what I'm going to preach on for the whole month of January. Next week, we're going to look about the greatest Christian who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, and how he despaired. And despair is spoken of here in Westminster. All right, so true believers, I hope that you are one, that you're trusting in Jesus Christ, may have the assurance of their salvation, diverse ways shaken, that's our word in the psalm, diminished, right, lessened, intermitted. I don't really know what that means. As by negligence in preserving. So here are the ways that your faith can be shaken. It's a list of them. By negligence in preserving of it. Well, how how are you negligent in, in preserving your assurance of salvation? It's not doing what you're doing today. It's not 
availing, your, availing yourself to the means of grace, to the preaching of the word of God and the administration of the sacrament that we'll have later. Uh, it's not being in the word yourself. It's not being in prayer yourself. That's negligence. By falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit. All right, so sin. By some sudden or vehement temptation. Pretty self-explanatory. By God's withdrawing the light of his countenance. What's your countenance? Oh, you have such a lovely countenance. It's an expression on your face, your, your visage, Right? Okay, so God withdrawing the light of his countenance. You know that old, that old adage that floats around in Christian circles? You see it on memes, on social media, or whatever. Um, if you f- it's something to this effect. If you feel distant from God, if you're distant from God, who moved? You ever heard that? If you're distant from God, who moved? In other words, it's your fault, dummy. That's not what Westminster says. And this was written, I can't remember over how many years by about a hundred pastors and elders and scholars, and it's our belief, uh, a summary of the faith, and it says, by God withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him, fear, reverence for God, respect for God, even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. You ever been there? Theologians call this the dark night of the soul. Yet they are never utterly destitute of that seed of God, life of faith, etc., etc. And so you're supported from utter despair as we find hope in God's goodness together. So his countenance, uh, it speaks in our psalm of his face. In the Old Testament, the word for face is lapanai, in Hebrew, it, it means God's face, his favor, his kind disposition towards you, his favorable disposition. What do the scriptures so often tell us? Fear not. The most common command in scripture is fear not. You know, right? We just celebrated that a lot at Christmas. Fear not, said the angel to, to David, to Mary, to whomever. Fear not. And usually, that very common command is accompanied with the explanation, for I am with you. Because it's God's presence that makes all the difference. Just a quick note, we're on letter A, did God forget David or has God forgotten me? Is God hidden? Uh, Who was David's enemy? He mentions his enemy in verses 2 and 4. Bottom line, I don't know. Um... A lot of times folks try to reconstruct what, or or were given information in a few of the Psalms, a Psalm that was read earlier for us, when he was in the cave. Why was he in the cave? Because for years, King Saul chased him around in the desert. How would you like to live in a cave for years with your life hanging in the balance? So who was David's enemy in this particular Psalm? We don't really know. Was it human? Was it demonic? Well, even if it was a person, there'd be spiritual forces there, right? But so he's chased around by King Saul. He lost a baby due to his sin. Now hear me in this. That doesn't mean that everyone who has lost a baby is it's because of their sin. That does not mean that at all. The scriptures explicitly state 
that in that instance, his adultery with Bathsheba, that that is why he lost that child, okay? But anyway, he lost the baby. Another child, his son Absalom, pulled a coup and later was killed. Um, He was betrayed by some of his closest friends. These are the various sorts of things that David went through in his life. Next week when we talk about Paul, we'll look at some of the things that he went through, some of the hard things he went through. And so here in verse 3 in our psalm, David says, Answer me or I'll die. He doesn't want his enemy to be exalted over him, to be victorious or prevail over him. And so he engages in what I and I think other theologians have called holy arguing. Holy arguing, which is taking your doubts to the Lord. And that's where you should take them. One of the most common things that I've experienced in my years in the church has been somebody that you see there every Sunday for you know, a certain season of life, then all of a sudden they're not coming around. And you go to their friend and, and, and you say to them, hey, uh, so-and-so usually sits over with you and I haven't seen him in a, in a while. What's going on? And their friend says, oh, pastor, so-and-so is going through some things right now. I have yet to hear of any of those individuals who are going through some things who are making the conscious decision to stay away from the church, away from the people of God, away from the word of God, away from the sacraments, that somehow their faith just miraculously just improved during that time. When you have doubts, recognize that God's not afraid of your doubts and your questions. The mistake that people make is they're troubled by their doubts and they just go away. Take your doubts to the Lord. That's what David does in the psalm. And he, in his holy arguing, he makes his case before God. There's a great book on prayer, Richard Pratt, Pray With Your Eyes Open. By that he means pray the Bible, pray with your Bible open. And he talks about building your case before God. That's what David the psalmist is doing here. He says lest or unless three times. It's twice there in the Hebrew and once more it's implied. Lest I die, lest my enemy prevail, lest my foes rejoice. He argues his case before God. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary says, In prayer, you must hold both emotion and reason together. In a true knowledge of God, they combine. At the throne of grace, tears fall from your eyes and arguments from your lips. Holy arguing. And and so now we've reached the turning point. Verses 5 and 6, this is letter B in your outline. The turning point in which David says that David moves from anguish to assurance. I think that's good. From anguish to assurance. Spurgeon says, David's heart was more often out of tune than his harp. He begins many of his psalms sighing and ends them singing. I think that's rather pithy too. From sighing to singing, from anguish to assurance. And how does he make this move? David remembers God's covenant love. This is letter B, our first bullet point. David remembers God's covenant love, his steadfast love. Now, in, 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 you may know the Hebrew word, if you've been around the church for a while, the Hebrew word 
here is chesed. And it's translated variously in the different English translations. Some of them just say mercy. That's okay. Um, I love New American Standard says loving kindness. I think that's better. Uh, Some of them say steadfast love, unfailing love. It's God's loving kindness. It's his special redeeming love for his people. And as David is remembering God's covenant, um, well, I've got a couple other cross-references I'll skip, but the main, main one is 2 Samuel 7. If you haven't read 2 Samuel 7 recently, read 2 Samuel 7. Read the whole chapter, particularly verses 11 through 16. It's the covenant with King David, right? King Saul was chosen. What were, what were his qualifications for the job? He was taller and better looking than most. And then one time they found him over hiding behind the luggage, you know, and then he's chasing David around in the desert. Didn't go so good. But in the Old Testament, David is, uh, he's figured there as the sort of the ideal king. Now, Jesus is the ultimate descendant. He's the ultimate Davidic king. But uh, David is held up, not because he's without his sins, he sure isn't because he's a man after God's own heart, right? And so he hearkens back to 2 Samuel 7 when God, when the Lord speaks to him through the prophet and and says, I'll make a covenant with you and your house forever. Kind of the context very quickly is David says, Lord, I have a house to dwell in. I'd like to make you a house, a place for your presence to dwell. And there's a little play on words. God says, you want to build me a house? No, I'm going to make you a house not an edifice, a structure, but a dynasty, a lineage from your descendants. You'll never lack for a man on the throne. Messiah is going to come from your descendants. And David grasps this. 2 Samuel 7 is pivotal in the Old Testament. It's pivotal for our understanding of the gospel. It's pivotal for our understanding of God's covenant love for his people because he keeps covenant. Even if we are faithless, 2 Timothy 2 says, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So the result, letter B, our second bullet point, the result is trust, verse 5, rejoicing and singing, verse 6. Trust and singing. What is trust? It's reliance. It's to be confident and secure in your salvation. Uh, in our psalm, David says that. Trust in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord. That's God's covenant name. Jehovah, Yahweh, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, whose name means salvation. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Trust, rejoicing, being glad and joyful, specifically uh, in the defeat of his opponent in verse 4, and in God's salvation, more importantly, in verse 5, God's deliverance. And singing, verse 6, singing to the Lord, singing to Yahweh, because he has dealt bountifully with his servant, because he has bestowed good upon and cared completely for his servant. And so in a few short verses, he moves, as the Canadian band down here sang years ago, from protest to praise. That's what happens from protest to praise. Now, this is very interesting. The the title here, which uh, is either original or so early, it's very reliable. It says, to the choir master, 
That's the chief musician. It's a psalm of lament. This was to be used in Israel's worship. As the New Geneva Study Bible notes point out, this isn't a collection of, uh, the psalms aren't a collection of private poems. So, you know, this wasn't just something for his prayer journal, just for himself. This was to be used in public. This movement from protest through prayer to praise, this is public. This is the hymn book of God's people. And David is openly sharing his thoughts and his struggles before the Lord and with the rest of God's people. All right, so let's move to make some Old and New Testament resonance with applications. By Old and New Testament resonance, where where is it resounded? Where is this echoed elsewhere in Scripture, right? We want to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Probably you've heard that. And, And so where else does it speak to this idea of lament and yet ultimately hope in the Bible? Old Testament and New, and what do we do with it? Well, David's Psalms of Lament, uh, our liturgist today read 142 for us. There's some other ones listed. I, got, I have some other ones I was going to mention, but I'm not even going to mention them right now. But in the New Testament, you get to the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation in chapter 6, in verse 10, the martyrs, those who are persecuted and put to death for their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, They cry out, how long, O Lord, how long till you're going to set everything right, till till you're going to avenge what was done to us and make everything right. And they're told to wait. Wait, rest a while longer. Why? Because it's God's mercy. God is giving people still time to repent. Repent. The sun rose today, a friend of mine likes to say, because God is yet gathering a people to himself. He's giving more time. My story, spiritual nuclear winter. What I said earlier, theologians call this the dark night of the soul. When you're really struggling as a believer, you're really struggling in the faith, and and it seems that God has removed the light of, of his countenance. Sometimes in your walk with God, the word of God is leaping off the page to you. You love the messages at church. You're reading the Bible on your own and it's just springing off the page of you. Or you're praying and God's answering prayer and it's fun and it all feels good. And in other times you're like David and you're in the pits. Does anybody care? How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And it's the dark night of the soul or what I call spiritual nuclear winter. Now, I'm going to spare you from the whole story of the circumstances. I've told you some of the deep weeds my family has walked through uh, since. But this goes back to when I was a a bachelor, before I knew Kelly. And the circumstances that I now find laughable, it didn't seem very funny to me back then. My life was kind of like a, 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 a bad country song. Ain't got no woman, ain't got no car, ain't got no money. I mean... That was kind of what was going on in my life. Uh, It was the dark night of the soul. And how I came through it, well, in a couple of ways, one of which I've already mentioned to you, uh, Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God, ministered to me greatly. Uh, Another book is Larry Crabb, uh, if you know him, um, Larry Crabb, uh, 
uh, broken, no, shattered, shattered dreams, that's it. Shattered dreams, Larry Crabb. That's another good one to read that will encourage you in your faith, especially, I, I, I bet if we were to have a show of hands today that we've got some cancer survivors in this room. Crabb uh, dealt with cancer twice. Shattered dreams, check it out. Anyway, the other thing that really helped me was talking with a friend. And he listened to me for a long time about my woes and my travails. Ain't got no money, ain't got no car, ain't got no woman. (laughs) He listened to me. He heard me out for a long time. And then he said to me, his name is Bill, and he's now a Christian counselor. One can maybe see why. Um, He said, Tom, it sounds to me like you're angry with God. And he was able to be a spiritual doctor in my life and to put his finger on what was troubling me. I thought that I deserved better treatment. <laughs> I thought I deserved a blessing. It's kind of, a, kind of ridiculous. It's all by grace, right? And he shared with me Hebrews 6.10. Look on the bottom of your outline. We'll finish up with this. Hebrews 6.10, we're going to read it twice, two different versions. I, I, I hate it when a pastor just slaps a verse on someone and says, you know, take two verses, call me in the morning, and, you know, everything will be better. <laughs> but let me tell you, this verse just made a huge difference in my life and still does. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. But I learned it in the NAS. For God is not unjust, I needed to be reminded of that, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, past, in having ministered, past, and in still ministering to the saints. You're not forgotten. And at that point, I had to be reminded that God had not forgotten me. From protest through prayer to praise, let's us pray. Lord, in that uh, song by the Canadian band, they talk about times of stinging abrasion. And maybe there's a brother or a sister or a young person here today that's going through some tough times and they're, they're crying out to you, Lord. And remind us all of the words of the old hymn, O come and mourn with me a while. O come ye to the Savior's side. O come together, let us mourn. Jesus, our Lord, is crucified. You are a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The Father was pleased to crush you. And the weight of our sins, our iniquities, fell on you, Jesus our perfect substitute. But that's not the end of the story. You rose from the dead. You live today. And you're still raising the dead and imparting life by the Holy Spirit. We worship you and we praise you. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. Amen.